Kyle Herbeck did what he had to do in that controversial play at first base that everybody is still talking about. Hi, <laughs> Ken. How are you? Herbeck expressed some interest, though, in becoming a wrestler, and he showed off his moves to Ron Gant, as we always do. We went uh, right to an expert for some analysis of that play. Here's what our expert had to say. Just in what I saw, Kent Herbeck mastered the technique. The step over tone. Yeah. Herbeck, I'm impressed. Through the macho man's eyes, the tag was clean. And Gant was out. What's your piece about that? Yeah. Is that a can of Old Bay? A dock worker from Locust Point. A doctor from Sinai. A hairdresser from Patterson Park. And a firefighter from Glendon. There's a fourth grader from Friendship Academy. And a lacrosse star for Boys Latin. A Catholic priest. And an Orthodox rabbi. A grandma from Dundalk. And a drummer from Hamilton. What's inside a can of Old Bay? You are... Old Bay. For 75 years, it's been the can that connects us. Budweiser presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today, we salute you, Mr. Pro Wrestling Wardrobe Designer. Mr. Pro Wrestling Wardrobe Designer. While lesser designers would shy away from putting 300-pound men in spandex, you embrace it. Yes, you do. Pushing fashion to its limits, literally, you pair tights with a cape, a leotard with a mask, leather boots with a thong. Oh, looking good. All understated ways of saying, I'm going to rip your head off and look fabulous doing it. So this buds for you, Mr. Pro Wrestling Wardrobe Guy, because without you, a man crushing another man's head in his arms would just look silly. Mr. Pro Wrestling Wardrobe Designer. Yes, we do. <laughs> We've been promising him for two or three weeks now, and he's shown up this afternoon. The World Series of Wrestling, as it pertains to our city, comes to the Coliseum tonight. I want to say the Macho Man, but it's the Macho King, Randy Savage. Randy, welcome. Macho King, you're right, Marty Brenneman, and I'm glad to be here in Riverfront Stadium here, home of the Big Red Machine type of a thing. Joe, that's all how you're doing. All right, Macho, how right. you doing, buddy? I'm feeling fine. And a swing and a miss by Patty Rulo, and it's a ball, two strikes. The Macho King. The Macho King. I just beat Axel Jim Duggan two days ago in Portland, Maine. And I'm the new king of the World Wrestling Federation. You know, kind of like uh, won the World Series all in one day. Uh, Doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't get any better than this right now. Yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> right. Riverfront Stadium. What's the score here? What do you got? We're down a run, 6-5. Does uh, Marge uh, need a pinch hitter here or something? You know, like, well, I'm ready. You know something about that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, you get no it. more in my pants. Macho, did you get hacksaws too before? Uh-huh. You know, uh, Jimmy went around here somewhere. He's down in the dugout. Down in the dugout, Jimmy. Sure. Stay there right now, brother. There's <laughs> <laughs> any red cooking right now. Two-two <laughs> to pay you. Little away, swing and a miss. And a strikeout for Burgess, a big one, his fourth. So two away, and the batter is Darren Jackson. I think it should be noted, and we've talked about it before, at one time in his long and distant past. Randy Savage, a professional player in the Cardinal and the Reds organization. He and Reds coach Jim Led go back a lot of years, uh, turned to a more profitable business, and 
of course, one of the big names in the World Wrestling Federation, Jimmy Superfly Snooker, tonight. Yeah, take him tonight. Battle with the top rope people. The guys like high altitude, yeah. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now that, you know, like uh, when I got out of baseball, I thought that was the end of the world, you know, but it was the beginning of another world. So everything happens for a reason. Maybe sometimes that's true, and sometimes it's not. In your case, it has been. It happened to be true in this particular case. And man, am I happy right now. Yeah. Randy, let me ask you. Did you write home and say, Mom, there's throwing the hooks? Whoa. <laughs> Ever since I was a macho baby, I was taking care of myself. You know what I mean? I had to be very independent because I was different. I can dig it. Jimmy Little tell you I was different. You know what I mean? He already has. <laughs> I see a lot of barren trees and snow, which 
The snake don't adapt well to the snow at all anymore. Growing up in Baltimore, I've done my share of snow. I mean, I also lived in the mountains of western Pennsylvania for a spell. I did Navy boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois, which, holy shit, I can't imagine any place on the U.S. mainland that could possibly be any colder than Chicago in the winter. My old brittle bones, they ain't about all that nonsense anymore. It, it's a huge reason why I moved to the island here. Don't get me wrong. But we still get a winter most of the time. You know, it's during the month of February. I might actually have to wear sweatpants for a couple of days to combat the 50 degree weather. But I don't miss snow, like at all. All that goddamn shoveling is for the birds. I was explaining to the locals here who have never seen a massive snowfall in their life. In fact, the year I moved here, 2016, it did actually snow here. About an eighth of an inch stuck to the grass. Nothing stuck to the roads. Just a little ice. And believe what I tell you, the island shut down for two days. No BS. (laughs) But I was telling the locals I work with here how back at home... When you dig your car out on a public road, people like to claim their spots with like lawn chairs and stuff. And I'm telling you right now, you better not move somebody's lawn chair and park your car there. I've seen literal fist fights. And even though we live in the same country, America is unique in that it has a huge range of regions with all kinds of different climates from deserts to tropical to snow. And I was telling the locals, you, you, you can see, I opened like a whole new world to them that they had never even thought of about saving your parking spot after you spent hours shoveling yourself out. I have people at home who, who like to tell me, you know, I love the seasons. Don't you miss the seasons? I'm just a person who loves the seasons. Yeah, I love the seasons too. That's why I move somewhere where we skip the shitty ones. You feel me? But look, to each his own, I see snow, and it makes me yearn for baseball. I see dead, barren trees, I yearn for baseball. And many of these picks I'm seeing on social media in the last couple of days are kind of bumming me out. Sometimes, I, I guess I forget they're still in America outside of my little palm tree bubble here on the island. Hello everybody, it's your boy, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network, and this is Backwards K-Pod, a place where I like to congregate with the baseball nerds, such as myself every week, to pontificate the seams as we examine the cast of characters, moments, stadiums, and the pop culture references that have now become legend in our national pastime and have been embedded in our baseball conscience. The audience has become part of my family over the seven years I've been doing this in some variation or another. And I've developed a symbiotic relationship with many of you. And before I move on to the hot stove report and this week's topic, my heart and prayers go out to two of the biggest BKP fans out there who have always been so supportive of everything that I do here at the dojo. I'm talking super fans Cecil Hackworth down in Somerset, Florida. 
and Kurt Stewart, who's up in Columbus, Ohio, and he's, I'm sure he's sitting there at Snowfall himself, and both of these cats are experiencing huge losses in their life this week, and I would be remiss if I didn't offer up my condolences and let those dudes know the snake is here for you fellas. Cecil lost a very good friend, and my boy Kurt, I mean, he lost his father, Jim, who I hear was like this huge Indian slash Guardians fan. I want you brothers to know I'm, I'm more for you and your pain right now, and you are not far from my thoughts. I love both of you dudes, and this week's show is dedicated to you guys. And I know you're both huge fans of Randy Macho Man Savage, so maybe I can give you an hour to relax your emotions and give you guys a little something to escape the heaviness of your moment. I love you guys. Okay, so that being said, let's dip into the BKP Hot Stove Report before we hit this Macho Man baseball story. And last week, while recording the Gary Carter bio, I told you that I got an alert that the Chicago Cubs painting the physical had a new southpaw on the north side when they eat Japanese pitcher Shota Imanaga. Well, the left-hander hurler, he's passed his physical, and the particulars of the deal have been released, so I think we'll start there for this week's BKP Hot Stove Report. And right off the rip, I think the Cubs did really well here. I know he isn't quite the Japanese player that the people had in mind at the beginning of the offseason, as the Cubs were in play for the services of Shoei Otani, but if Imanaga is able to put up the stats I'm seeing projected for him on StatCast, he could be the steal of the offseason. So, let's break it down. The contract appears to be a four-year deal for $53 million. After 2025, the Cubs hold a team option to extend Imanaga for a fifth year, pushing that gross total of the contract to $80 million. And if Chicago declines to give him an extension in that third year, Imanaga can walk on in to free agency. So, he's making a little over $13 million a year before that kicks in. And with the ability to nearly double that offer in year three, should the Cubs break bread with him. Which, you know, the Cubs are going to make him work for his money, and he seems willing to make that bet on himself. There's a $10 million posting fee that the Cubs now owe Yokohama Blue A's back home in Japan. The throwing philosopher, as he is known in the Nippon League, is 32 years old. I've heard read many of the scouts' accounts of his game, and the thought is he has the ceiling of a solid number two in the rotation, and the floor, I guess you would consider him his back end of the rotation at number four. And he is ostensibly the replacement for Marcus Stroman, who has moved on to pitch in the Bronx for the, the Yankees, which I'll get into in a bit. And my perception is that by the end of the year, we will conclude that Jameson Tyone is probably a tad bit overpaid, and Imanaga is a tad bit underpaid. As far as, you know, the Cubs starting rotation is concerned. An eight season with the Blue Waves, a philosopher. With 64 and 50 with a 3.18 ERA, he struck out 1,021 batters, walked only 280 in 1,002.2 innings pitched. 
And now he's slight grade, 5'10", 190 pounds. He's not a hard thrower by any means. He hits 91 to 93 consistently, but he has impeccable control with a four-seam fastball, slider, and what some call a split with, you know, other than these scouts, they're proclaiming it plays more like a change-up with heavy sink. And even though he doesn't throw hard, he has the uncanny ability to miss bats because the four-seamer has crazy movement away from left-hand sticks in particular. And I was watching A.J. Pruszynski this week, former big league catcher, and he was saying that one of the few flaws he saw in film is that Imanaga has a tendency to keep going away from left-handed hitters. And A.J., who was a solid left-hand stick himself, would like to see Shota bust more left-handers in with that heat. Because in his words, if, if I don't feel like he can get me out coming in, I'm going to be all out diving across that dish on that fastball. And he also said that the Cubs have one of the best analytical departments around, and they will surely be looking to establish the inner half when they get up with it. AJ also knows that he's a fly ball pitcher, which he is curious to see how that might play out in the friendly confines all year. And two little things I'll be watching when it comes to Imanaga. And if I'm being honest here, as an Orioles fan, I'm jealous of this move. This is the kind of pitcher and money the Orioles should be in on. And for nothing else to establish a footprint in Japan. I know he would be relatively cash-friendly, as I figured he would be in the Kota Senga range from last year, three years, $9 million AAV, which showed he got a little over 13 a year, which makes sense, considering the prices always go up, right? But that's still a great deal to me, considering you gave Kimbrell a close of $13 million this year, and Frankie Montas, who pitched a whopping total of one and a third innings last year for the Yankees got $14 million from the Reds. So, good for the Cubbies. I, I follow these Japanese guys to the season, and I think Imanaga is a solid two or three-old pitcher, and he's not going to be Keigawa. He's going to succeed. Show it is the real deal, but there will be two things I will be keying in on for uh, Imanaga's month of April. Number one, will be his ability to transition from a six-man rotation deployed in the NBL. And the fact that the Japanese use uh, Mizuno baseball, that's pre-tacked. In the States here, we, we use baseballs that are rubbed in magic blood found only along the Delaware River. Our baseballs are a little bigger, the laces are different, and our balls are much more slippery. That's what she said. I know last year, Senga had a rough April between the transition and the different baseballs used here in the States. There was a point there where there was a thought he might have to be sent down, but Senga adjusted. And after Blake Smell, Snell, he might have been the second best pitcher in the NL uh, coming down the stretch in the second half. So, when I watch Soda next year, I'll be closely monitoring his April starts and where he hopefully progresses from there. And another thing, this move gives the Cubs a projected rotation that features three southpaws in Justin Steele, Jordan Wicks, and Imanaga, along with two right-handers in Tyone and Kyle Hendricks, with, you know, Javier Assad, Hayden Wesneski as backup spot starters, and bullpen arms, if everyone's healthy and productive. 
So, with three southpaws already in their rotation, baseball logic would suggest that the Cubs are not going to be players for Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery. But, I don't feel like the Cubs are done yet, as... It feels like they have been competing with themselves to re-sign Cody Bellinger, quite honestly, who was by far their most clutch hitter last year. Because of the very team-friendly contract signed by Imanaga and the fact that they they lost out on Shohei, it suggests to me that the Cubs will still be aggressive to add a bat, possibly a bully arm, before breaking off to Arizona for spring training. Now... There was a time when I thought Reese Hoskins might be a suitable fit for the Northsiders before they made this push for Soda, but I'm not so sure that it is the case anymore when they made a sneaky good trade with the Los Angeles Deferrals, sending left-handed pitcher Jackson Ferris and outfielder Zyre Hope to Los Angeles for first base with Michael Bush and relief pitcher Yancey Almonte. Bush was the 44th ranked prospect on MLB's Pipeline Top 100 list. And Cubs manager Craig Council believes he's ready to play right now and will give the youngster every opportunity to win the first base position this spring. He is projected to be a power corner infielder. He got his first taste of the majors last year uh, with Freddie Freeman on the big club. He becomes expendable for the DeVerles. In 98 games for AAA Oklahoma last year, Bush hit 323, 27 home runs, 26 doubles, and 90 RBIs. His 618 slug and ranked fourth among all qualifying minor league hitters, while his 1.049 OPS ranked seventh. In Almonte, the Cubs add a 29 year old, six year veteran bullpen arm in a bully that needs reinforcement, quite honestly. So, with that being said, maybe Hoskins is out, and the Cubs will look to re-up with Belly, or maybe search for a third baseman, where the prize still appears to be Matt Chapman. Only time will tell, but I still feel like they have one more grand move, considering they were all in on Otani, and obviously have the monetary resources to add more. Now, the San Francisco Giants followed up on their trade for former Cy Young Award-winning pitcher Robbie Ray last week with a contract for what many insiders consider the second-best closer on the market this year in Jordan Hicks. But there's a caveat. The Giants, who already have stud closer Camilo, uh, Camilo Duvall in the fold, are determined to give Hicks every opportunity to earn a spot in the starting rotation. A role he was originally projected to fill with the Cardinals, but injuries pushed him into the closer role. He wasn't very effective as a starter. His numbers are not good as a starter. Granted, he was young, learning, you know, finding his way. And I said last week that Farhan is on the hot seat for me, and, and I would reserve judgment to examine the offseason when he has... Done all he can do going into opening day. And this is a move that has piqued my interest a little bit. They they signed the 27-year-old flamethrower to a four-year, $44 million deal, which pretty much runs in line with the amount of money insiders have projected him to make. He was the sixth youngest player in the market. His fastball averages 100 miles per hour. He's got a heavy sinker. 
He's a ground ball pitcher when he's on. And he's a pitcher who has come out of the bully now for the Cards and Jays. And, you know, he's done pretty well. I know he had some some pretty down years with the Cards after coming off, you know, arm troubles. Last year between the two clubs, he pitched 65 and two-thirds innings. Finished, finished with a 2.39 ERA, a 3.22 FIP, 81 strikeouts. And he's got a tendency to walk a few batters, 1.34 whip, and a 13% walk rate for batter's face. That's a little high. I'm curious to watch this play out as I think the kid has a chance to make this work in the rotation. But if it doesn't, we know for sure he can bring it in the late innings out of the bully. And worst comes to worst, you, you use him as a setup bridge to Duvall. So, from the money perspective, he's on par with the closing market, but if he works out and it's a solid back end of the rotation to mid-rotation arm, that's a hell of a bargain at $11 million per. And I know, there are cynics everywhere nowadays. They don't think this will never work as a start. And maybe they're right. We'll see. But I have to give it up to Farhan Zaidi, who's sticks to his guns, and is attacking his problem with a relatively cost-friendly and creative approach here. The Giants may have been one of the most unesthetically beautiful teams to watch last year with all their platoons and mishmash approach to the rotation and the fact that they struggled to score runs coming down the stretch. And at this point, it looks like there might be some of that going on this year if they don't address their needs. And at least for the first half. You got a rotation devoid of two big pieces until at least after the All-Star break. And Robbie Ray and Alex Cobb. You got Hicks, who's never been a starter for any significant time on the MLB level. Which leaves you with Logan Webb at the top. Kyle Harrison penciled in there. I, I like that kid. He's nice. And then take your pick of two other guys between, you know, uh, Ross Stripling, Keaton Wynn, Tristan Beck, Kaiway Tang, Mason Black. I, you know, take your pick. Now, whoever the three are that do not make the rotation this year, we'll go to the bully where the Giants are weak in their last remaining spots as they run about five deep in their bullpen rotation with Duvall, Taylor, and Tyler Rogers, Luke Jackson, Ryan Walker. All in all, I do feel like the Giants are better going into the opening day this year than they were last year. But, Farhan still has work to do. It's obvious that Zaidi doesn't look at things in the traditional vein as other GMs. He obviously doesn't believe in this guy is our number one, and this is our number two, this guy is our number three. The Giants are looking at a fluid pitching staff in 2024. Obviously, Farhan is looking to squeeze 1,400 to 1,500 innings out of his pitching staff. He doesn't really care how he gets there. He just knows he needs to be in there some way for that pitching staff to work. And with that philosophy in mind, I can understand why he's willing to take the gamble with picks in the rotation. As with any team nowadays, he's not looking for Hicks to throw 300 or even 200 innings this year, as long as the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. 
Now, the Giants are still about $20 million under their first luxury tax threshold number in salary, a threshold they have never surpassed, I don't believe. And I get the feeling they are out on Snell and Montgomery, considering Snell just turned out a $30 million AAV deal with the Yankees. And if they're going to surpass the first threshold, I mean, I'm sorry, if they're not going to surpass the first threshold, that would eliminate Snell and possibly others. They've almost pigeonholed themselves with the trade for a pitcher who at best will be ready right after the break. And they could still use at least one, if not two more bats if they played on scoring more than two runs a game. If the Cubs are out on Hoskins, that could be a thought. Tommy Pham is out there. I know I've been saying his name. I love that kid. Good, cheaper production. And with these ground ball pitchers you required, maybe you just go get Matt Chapman, who can rake and defend the hot corner at an elite level. It almost feels like the Giants have been hesitant on going after Chappie after the letdown of uh, Evan Longoria, but Chappie is, is no Longoria. Again, the Giants have improved. I'm still going to reserve judgment because they should not be done. I'm not sure if this team is ready for Arizona this year or the deferrals. But 2025 20, opening day with Webb, Ray, Cobb, Hicks, Harrison, that's pretty dope. Not to mention Zaidi, who came up through the A's and Dodgers organization, he's boasted on more than one occasion that he's never had pitching prospects like the one he wants that he has coming through the pipeline right now. I expect the Giants to hopefully sign one more bat in Chappie or, or even Bellinger. Both Scott Boris guys, by the way. And possibly a middle infielder to back up uh, Marco Luciano if the youngster falters. And Farhan can accomplish that within the next few months. Giants fans should be thrilled with their chances in 2025. I still have serious questions and concerns about uh, about this year's rotation for them to start the season off with. And let's talk about the Yankees real quick. Who after trading for Juan Soto and watching Yamamoto snub them for the DePearls, they've had a relatively quiet offseason thus far. I mean, as quiet as one can expect when you add a Soto to a roster that already has Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole on it. As the Yankees go out and grab Marcus Stroman from the Cubs, who replaced him uh, with Imanaga, while the Yankees upgraded from Domingo Herman with Stroman. And the Yankees have signaled that they're moving all in this year. And, I mean, you don't trade five pitchers for one-year rental in Juan Soto if you're not willing to do what it takes to get to the dance. In fact... They were rebuffed by Blake Snell when they offered him five years at $150 million. What scares the bejesus out of me as an ALE's resident, by the way. Most people would assume from that headline that they're out on Blake Snell as he is looking for more years of money. But I've seen this movie before. Snell uses his baseline... 
as an offer for, you know, a template for others to negotiate against. Boris will get that number up as high as he can with as many years as he can before offering the Yankees a chance to beat him. And if they are all in, which I believe 100% they are, they will beat the price and Snell will join Cole and giving them back-to-back Cy Young two-headed monster rotation, which if they get Snell, they take their team to a whole other level. The Yankees are currently up against the fourth and final luxury tax threshold, so any free agent they sign from here on out gets taxed at 110%. That's a shit ton of money. And the Hal Steinbrenner era is a much different empire than his father's. But if the Yankees come away with Snell off that bitch market, the Yankees will have to be recognized as a true force, and they may not care about that tax. They'll just play it out this year and then reset next year. But let's talk about Marcus Stroman, 32-year-old right-handed pitcher, signs a two-year deal with the Yankees for $37 million after declining an option with the Cubs that would have netted him $21 million for the season. And let's get all the minutiae out of the way before we talk about his skill sets and projections. Uh, the vet pitcher, he, he comes at you with a chip on his shoulder, and he's been known to blast away on his former employees. Which, in all honesty, I can relate to in my personal life. Fuck them. He's had wars with the media, the fans, former bosses, Brian Cashman. But I never hear other players badmouth him. Never heard a teammate or a coach say things to him. But he can get a little silly on Twitter, and it remains to be seen how he handles adversity in the Big Apple. So. He does come with a little bit of baggage, and some of it is by his own hand. And sometimes, like in the case with Cashman, it's a defense mechanism. At Papua Tandy, he does have a Napoleonic complex, and he pitches with a chip on his shoulders. But let's talk about just the talent for a second. Dude is righteous when he's healthy. And his first 13 starts last year. He was in the conversation to be the starting pitcher for the NL All-Star team. He had a stellar 2.980 or 3.46 FIP. He was striking out 22% of the batters he faced. He had a 1.00 whip. Now, the second half, he struggled with a blister, injured his hip and ribs. Had a 6.090 or 3.74 FIP. That ain't too bad. Considering that 6.090 ERA. The strikeout percentage fell to 19%, which is still pretty good. But that 1.61 whip is just bowling shoe ugly. As he fought himself and his command down the stretch. And like I said, for sure, he's an upgrade over Domingo Herman, who himself had some locker room incidents behind the scenes last year, including the day he flipped over a couch in the clubhouse. And the best thing that Stroh can do this year is stay healthy. Because when he is healthy, he is very effective. 
stays on Twitter or X or whatever that nutball is called it these days. In fact, just give the phone and password to your closest member or your entourage and let them handle the day-to-day promotion of all things throw. Now, the Yankees gave up a lot of pitching to acquire the services of Juan Soto, but Strowman had more quality starts than Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito, Michael King combined last year. So now we're looking at Cole, the best pitcher in the American League, followed by Stroh, Carlos Rondon, unless you know maybe you have him second if he's healthy, Stroh third, Nestor Cortez, Clark Schmidt, which is very good, but there's still a lot of questions, and hopefully uh, there's a lot of questions, and hopefully is attached to that. Like, hopefully, uh, Rondon can be what he once was. Hopefully, Cortez can stay healthy and find his mojo. Hopefully, Stroke can adjust to adversity and not lose his fucking mind when the press and Yankees fans give him the blues. Hopefully, Schmidt can take that next step. But, if the Yankees get Blake Snell... You drop Stroh to the middle of the rotation. It changes the whole dynamics of that starting rotation and the team's ability to make a run at the ship. But hey, don't forget, the L.A. deferrals are still out there and they might shock us all yet again by snagging the NLSI with a deal that will expire sometime around 2070. I have no idea what they're waiting for. They should have been grabbed, Snell and Hater. And that, my CFM friends, is the BKP Hot Stone Report. That's going out to my boy, Kurt's dad, Jim Stewart. Show 115, week 10 of the 2023 MLB offseason. A lot of fish still to be bought. Crazy trade possibilities still to come. And I'll be here every week to keep you abreast of all the goings-ons and the maneuvers all the way up to opening day 2024. I think next year I may just do a weekly hot stove report on its own on a second show. But... This is the format for the year this year. I tell you what, Briggs. Let me step out for a short break, rip some tubes, hook my boy Gunner up with some treats. When we get back, I'll load y'all up on our BKP time travel choo and set course to dive into the Randy Macho Man Savage Scene Dream story. I can't wait to bring it down. Don't go anywhere. Please support the grassroots sponsors that support your grassroots baseball pod. Lapperose hand cleaner. No more smelly hands. BRB seam heads. See on the dark side of the moon. Macho Man Randy Savage, Sarasota, Florida. Come on in. You're going to be defending against the dragon, Ricky Steamboat. What's the cup for? WrestleMania 3, Pontiac, Michigan. Yeah, 90,000 plus people watching right there. And this is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's cup of coffee in the big time. Yeah, cup of coffee in the big time because you'll never get closer than now. I am the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion and I will remain the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. And Jersey Animal Steel on the outside will be no factor, yeah. 
You say no factor. Obviously, he is a factor, or you wouldn't even brought it up. Oh, wow, Mr. Sarcasm, yeah. I don't care if you got 23 wrestlers around the outside, and it doesn't even matter, no, because I am ready, and I will not let this opportunity slip through my fingers. Cup of coffee, man, yeah. Man! Wow, man! What a moment. Executive producer of Backwards K Pod. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boil. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the Fish and Hand Cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap, perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and then washed my hands with regular soap, only to touch my eyes half hour later, and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun no base spices. Well, we also have a hand cleaner, specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods. Perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection, as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets. Crushing big bowls of shellfish or fishing on the banks of your favorite river while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey, Mom, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There's also a buffalo wing hand cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290 to support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or 
588-0290. To prepare for your summer time shellfish feast or the fishing trip you're planning, crawfishhandcleaner.com. And a hit. That hit was Ozzie Smith's back in the first inning. And we welcome back to the St. Louis Cardinal Television Network microphones, the Macho Man. And Miss Elizabeth. Hey, Macho Man. I do, buddy. Good to see you. It's been a while. How are you? Look great. Hi, Miss Elizabeth. How are you? How you doing? I mean, could you could you get a little bit uh, more colorful uh, uni tonight? Oh, uh, I wanted this to go low profile right here. I just wanted to blend in. Blend in is what I wanted to get done. Yeah. You know, I want to talk to you about the new Hungarian death grip I've got for you. <laughs> you know what I've heard about that? A lot of people have been telling me that you have that. And you wanted to either show it to me as far as uh, opposing me or be on my team. So I'd rather just uh, bond together with you. The man Hungarian and the macho man. <laughs> we got a tag team match here. I like that. There you go. That's it. That's it. <laughs> No, because I want to talk to you, because I am a big, big WWF fan, and I remember a few times when you were teamed up with Hulkster, uh-huh. and I remember how Miss Elizabeth got in the yeah. way of things there. Right, that's a blast from the past, my <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I don't uh, add two and two and make uh, four, you know, <laughs> I get 22 and I get confused. Is that what happened to your Cardinal baseball career? That's what happened to my Cardinal <laughs> baseball career. I knew you'd bring that up. They told me that you would do that. Yeah, very yeah, really good. How can you had a, you had a chance to be out on the mound and throw from the mound? You packed it up. Yeah, but I did the Statue of Liberty play, a little football, and I gave it to Miss Elizabeth right there. You, you gave me my pink slip one time. I didn't want you to do it again. Well, I'm going to ask you that. Who was brave enough to release you? Well, let's see, there was a few of them. They never really come over and tell you themselves, right? You just been going to the locker room and find your, your uniform's not in your locker that's 3-1 pitch to Milt Thompson is ball four to lead off the fourth inning. Hey, Macho Man, you know. He's, you know, we got Macho Man, we got, uh, we got Miss Elizabeth here, we got Milt Thompson on first, we got some good vibes going here in this inning, is that the idea? Absolutely, yeah, we're going to get a rally started because uh, I told Elizabeth that we were just going to not come here and have the Cardinals drop one, that'd be bad, I want to go on that positive type momentum. Get the red and white cooking. That's what we do. We dress up in red and white. But then we got another outfit where we go over to the Cubs with blue. No, no, no. no, no. I know you will. I'm joking. There goes Joke. Milt Thompson. The pitch is inside. The throw by Wilkins is high. And Milt's in. His second base. That's what I couldn't do. What, throw? That's right. I would have thrown that one over the center fielder's head. Well, I was hoping it was uh, you could steal a base, but uh, at least to get really? himself into scoring position, maybe we can get something going Very here. Good. I like it. Elizabeth, what do you think? I like it. All right, there you go. We gotta get somebody across that plate. Hulk Hogan, Hollywood officer, whatever they call you, I'm coming after you, you coward. I think it is. Yeah. Oh, right, you set it off. Set it off. Used to be hard off, now you done turns off. Doing telephone commercials, I seen ya. Dancing in the night, there's a ballerina. I knew all along you had those tendencies. Cause you've been running from not you like I got a disease. Do place your pay-per-view of that was a joke. You're avoiding Randy Savage cause you know you can smoke. Come on, that pony bike, the rock straight too fast. But when I tell it, told me to a real fight, he passed. I called him out, but the punk was scared to go. It was a charity event, but the whole didn't show. Hollywood, you're at the end of your rope. And I'm a kick in the butt, 
close your mouth, I would go Cause when like they take your pills, you get no respect So come on, go off the track, so I can put you a check Be a man, ho! Come on, don't be scared Your mind's gone hot, so that's what I heard Be a man, ho! Come on, don't be a chump I never thought a would go wild like a Okay, welcome back, freaks I know this format's a little different this week Truth be told, this probably could have been a BKP shortstop pod if not for this week's hot stone report, as this week's topic had a short and quick-lived professional baseball journey before moving on and becoming one of the greatest and iconic characters in the history of professional wrestling. So, I'm ready to get after it. If I could get you last remaining stragglers to clear the platform here at Terrapin Station, I'm looking to the west, and I see a beautifully manicured baseball field looking like something out of a Norman Rockwell painting. The pitcher has finished his warm-up tosses. The catcher has come down to second. The infield is throwing that rock around, and the umpire is called play ball. So... That's good enough for me. I'm ready to get after it. If I can get you last remaining stragglers to clear the platform here at Terrapin Station, I'd like to get you guys on this uh, this little free train we got here. I'm calling all aboard. As I set our time and destination for November 15th, 1952, Columbus, Ohio, where a young boy will be born, who will inevitably fall short of his seen dreams, but will change the stars through sheer will and become a character so dynamic that he will transcend and blur the lines between the industry that he works in and mainstream America. This week, Freaks and Geeks, I'm going to tell you the baseball story of Randy Popo, a.k.a. Macho Man Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah, dig it! Mm-hmm. So, hurry, hurry. Step right up. Get him where you can fit in. Take off your shoes. Open your kimonos. Throw your bras out the window. Whatever you gotta do to get comfortable. Let them hang, ladies. I don't judge. I've been so excited to get this story nicely pressed and hang it up in our collection of ball players and their stories. And the truth is, I lovingly call you guys freaks and nerds, but that's only because we can smell our own. I'm the biggest freak nerd of all of us. And there are three things that I've loved as long as I can remember. Baseball, of course. Star Wars. And pro wrestling. And the truth is, if I didn't have a baseball show, I'd probably have a Star Wars show or a pro wrestling show. That, that's how goofy I am about this shit. And I met Randy Savage once, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. 1988, when I was 17 years old. And I was at a party at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Baltimore. Now, my mom listens to this show, so I'm not going to tell you all the particulars, but let's just say, we were doing a lot of things that you did in the 80s, and, you know, everyone's feeling good, having fun, 
And while I'm there, there was rumors that a few of the heels or the villains might be stopping by. And this was back when the wrestlers were still living that kayfabe life, which is just an insider's term for projecting the business. The heels and the baby faces are what you would call heroes and villains. They never hung out together, so it's to keep this public illusion that these guys really hated each other in real life. And I had gone to the show earlier that night at the then Baltimore Civic Center, but when I'm hearing all these rumors, I'm not believing it, right? So I'm sitting on the couch, and I look up, and Mr. Fuji, one of the dastardly evil managers, walks in. And inside, I'm on full nerd alert. I'm a 17-year-old kid, ready to burst at the seams and mark the gown. And behind him is classy Freddie Blassie and Nikolai Volkov, who, you know, was an evil Soviet wrestler then, who loathed Americans, but really... He lived out in Noe's Mills, Maryland, and he spoke perfectly English. I saw that guy around town all the time. So I get up, and I walk towards them to shake their hands. And it's I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, keep it together, man. This is really happening. My friends at school will never believe this story on Monday. And just as I get within five feet of them, the door flies open. Scares the shit out of me. I thought it was the cops. My mind starts racing. Okay, how do I get out of this room? All of a sudden, the one and only macho man Randy Savage bursts into the room and says, Ooh, yeah. Which one do you want me to knock down first? Mm-hmm. And... My brain, it went from absolute paranoia and fear to, oh my freaking God, it's Macho Man Randy Savage. And he was amazing. My first thought was that, man, cocaine does a line of Macho Man Randy Savage before they get started. <laughs> he stayed in character for the whole night. So much so, I'm still to this day, I'm not sure him and the character weren't one and the same. To this day, what, 35 years later? I'm sure I made zero impression on him. I was just another goofy 17-year-old loser of a kid he met on the road who hadn't fully realized yet that it was all work. If I met Randy Savage as a middle-aged man today, knowing what I know now, as well as what I don't know about his baseball past, I would have a whole other line of questions to ask Macho Man Randy Savage. And some of you probably know by now that before he headlined the professional wrestling world, Randy Poffo had true seam dreams. More than anything, he wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. It was truly his passion and life as a kid. And here we are, folks, coming through that last wormhole, bending space and time, pulling up in Columbus, Ohio, November 15, 1952, to witness the birth and the rise of Randy Poffo, 
who begins his life with a dream to be a Major League Baseball player. But after a four-year minor league career, fate, destiny, God, higher power, whatever you want to call it, life had other plans. And he would make his mark on the world and he will not soon be forgotten. Randy was the oldest son of Judy Sveridan Poffo and Angelo Poffo. His mother was Jewish. His father was a Roman Catholic Italian immigrant who was well known and regarded professional wrestling during the 50s and 60s. The Pablo unit lived in Zanesville, Ohio, where Randy attended Grover Cleveland Middle School before graduating from Downers Grove High School in the Chicago suburbs. As a kid, Randy was absolutely an obsessed seam head. He collected baseball cards, he memorized all of his heroes' stats, and much of his spare time was spent playing catch with his brother Lanny, or taking hacks in the park. Randy was an eight-year-old kid, uh, and he was probably the most recognizable kid in the neighborhood from afar because he always carried around his trusty mitt, like American Express. He never left home without it. All Randy Poffo cared about, all he ever talked about, was playing in the Major League someday. His seam dream journey begins at the age of 10 when his mother signs him up for his first Little League team in Downers Grove, Illinois. Always supportive of Randy and Lanny's love and devotion to baseball, his father, Angelo, never wavered in his belief and reinforcement of his son's dreams. His father built a winterproof heated batting cage in the family's backyard. Equipped with a pitching machine so the boys wouldn't miss out on practice during those brutal Chicago winters. And before Angelo became a wrestler, he too had dreams of making it big in the American pastime. But his playing days ended in college after being the victim of a gruesome beanball incident. So while he was carving out his niche as a successful mid-card wrestler... He was all in on giving his sons every resource available to attain their goals. One year in junior high school, the gym teacher challenges any student to do 100 sit-ups. Randy Pavo accepts that challenge and reels off a thousand of them to his teacher's amazement. Yes, Randy was a freak. But he also had help genetically, as his father set the world record for sit-ups when he cranked out 6,033 sit-ups in a row in 1946. He would regularly take the boys out to Wrigley and Comiskey to watch the Cubbies and Southsiders compete. And he also took time to teach the boys the finer points of playing the catcher's position, the position that he himself played in his deck. Even though both boys would eventually follow their father into the wrestling business, he was behind the boys 110%, especially Randy, who was more serious about his ambitions of making the show. When Randy was a sophomore in high school, his dad got an offer to go to Hawaii for a year to wrestle. 
the Pablo unit, Palos Angelo in tow, which ostensibly delayed the boys' high school graduation by a year, which Angelo didn't have a problem with because he felt like the delay would lessen their chances of being drafted to fight in the Vietnam War. During their time in the Loja State, their mother served as a lenient homeschooler, which, as Landy remembers it, uh, the two boys, they'd knock out a couple of math problems or a book report and spend the rest of the day playing baseball and going to wrestling shows. And for 11 months, that was the deal. A very small day of learning, followed by a plane catch in the Honolulu sunshine. And this is where the now 16-year-old Randy Popo earns a roster spot on the semi-pro Gouveia's Sausage Phillies baseball team. And that's when Lanny, his brother, noticed Randy took his game to a whole new level. Upon his return to the mainland and back in his Downers Grove high school setting, it was obvious upon first glance that Randy had returned to school in near-world-class shape and a seasoned semi-pro baseball player. Following his Hawaiian hiatus, he dominates playing ball for the Downers Grove North High Trojans. As a junior, he bats 500, leading his school to a conference title. As a senior, he hits 525, and once again, he leads the school to another conference title. Both seasons, he was voted team MVP and selected to play on the Illinois All-State team. And despite his stellar play, the scouts were not showing up to watch him play. And the one time a few of them did show up, Randy was running a 100-degree fever, and his performance was less than stellar. Nevertheless, he went into draft night with high hopes. Unfortunately, Randy waited at his house with his parents for a call that never came. Now, 974 players were drafted in the 1971 Amateur Baseball Draft. Hall of Fame luminaries such as George Brett, Michael Jack Smith, Jim Rice. But not one for Randy Popo. And his brother Lanny remembered how that was a dark time for his brother. Randy felt completely ignored, and he never forgot that feeling, and he never took that pain lying down. As usual, Randy's biggest fan, he didn't take the pain lying down either. As the day after the conclusion of the draft, his father Angelo was there pushing his son to pick himself up and attend an open tryout that the Cardinals were having. And together, the two drove nearly 300 miles to St. Louis. And along the way, Angelo is urging his young Randy to just do his best and have fun. In his first at bat with the Redbirds, he ropes a ground roll double into the corner. And the Cards brass is so impressed that they saw the kid. There were over 300 kids vying for a shot at a Cardinals contract. And when the dust settled... Only one, Randall Mario Papo, was signed for $500 a month with no signing bonus. Now, $500 a month in 1971 is worth about $3,800 today in the 2024 economy. After signing the deal, 
The cards shuttle them out to their rookie Gulf Coast League in Tampa, Florida. And Randy is elated and re-energized in his love for the game. And before his death, Papa remembered how the cards couldn't believe he was undrafted. And they loved his potential. His first campaign, he's playing the Gulf Coast League cards. He's playing for them and he returns the next year. He starts the 1973 season with the GCL cards. But midway through the season, he is promoted after busting out with a 3.4 BA. Earning him the, the chance to play for the Orangeburg Cardinals here in South Carolina. The Western Carolina League. And although it is a step up from GCL, this is still a single A team. Soon after his promotion, he suffers a season-ending injury after colliding with a player at home plate. And soon thereafter, the Cards will let him go. He does get one more shot in 1974 when the Cincinnati Reds sign him to their Florida State League, the uh, Tampa Tarpons. And while his last year of baseball was nothing spectacular, Randy appreciated getting, uh, you know, getting his chance to play in a team that had once been a proving ground for his baseball idols, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose. He would also meet Lynn Payne, the woman who would later become his wife in 2010 until his death after he and his co-star Miss Elizabeth during his vaunted macho man Randy Savage Act were divorced in 1992 after eight years of marriage. And just like his father, the young Papa would don the tools of ignorance. And by all accounts, he was very good at blocking pitches in the dirt, game calling, and he was fearless with a runner buried down that third base line at him. But he also saw time in the outfield as well as first base. But most of his minor league experience came behind the dish and in the outfield. And one of Papo's teammates in 1971, outfielder Larry Herndon, who most team heads my age remember him best with the Tigers and the Giants. He remembers Randy as, you know, being this kind, hearted kid, a great person who genuinely cared about others and was funnier than all get up. And he also remembers how Papo would hang a tire from the rope. As it moved, he would swing a bat at it, explaining that he felt it made his hands stronger and it encouraged him to use his legs with each swing. And while the Macho Man is now long gone after his tragic death in 2011 at the age of 58, Larry Herndon went on to have a successful 14-year Major League Baseball career before spending six years as a hitting coach for the Detroit Tigers. While serving as the hitting instructor for the single-A Lakeland Tigers, one of the drills he used was hanging an old uh, swinging tire from a tray, just like Randy had showed him all those years ago. Only about 10% of all minor leaguers realize their team dream. The fact that Randy wasn't even drafted means the odds were stacked even greater against him. And of course, the new, uh, the near career ending injury he sustained while playing for Orangeburg, it certainly did help. 
a shoulder injury that required him to switch over to throw from the opposite side. A switch-hitting, ambidextrous catcher, Preeks. He actually learned how to throw left-handed in high school, telling his incredulous teammates, Yeah, the coach may want me to pitch, but I don't want to burn out my arm, so I just used the left-handed pitch and saved my right arm for more important things. Ooh, yeah. Nah, it's something like that. And despite his attempt and willingness to give baseball his all, he had a few hurdles he could never overcome. He had zero foot speed. He ran like he was pulling a refrigerator on his back in the mud. And while he had a very powerful arm, it wasn't very accurate. By his accounts, my throws to second would fly in the center field or tail in the right field. He sadly lamented before his death. I just didn't have the talent to go any further. Regardless, he's been immortalized by the Cincinnati Reds and the team's Hall of Fame Museum. The display includes a brief recap of his 1974 season in the organization, along with a custom-made baseball card that has a certain pop culture appeal to it for card collectors. And legend has it that the man we would uh, become to know as the Mantra Man he got his moniker from his minor league baseball playing days. In a game versus the Winter Haven Red Sox, Randy catches a fastball in his ear by the pitcher, and a bench-clearing brawl ensues, ensues with uh, Papo leading the charge. And the next day in the local paper, the sports writer said Papo was running around like some kind of macho man. And the fans got in on the act after reading the article, and he had a big banner in the outfield that screamed, Hit it here, Macho Man. And Randy loved it from day one. It felt perfect to him. While Randy did turn to wrestling full-time after his baseball career, he already had a foot in the door two years prior to his last season. Former outfielder Tito Landrum remembers how Randy would set up a ring in the Orange Bird locking room, locker room, and he would wrestle with guys, and he would always say, Yeah, if this baseball thing doesn't work out, I'm just going to work for my dad and become a pro wrestler. Yeah, dig it? In reality, he was already traveling the wrestling circuit and learning the craft that would take him to places that baseball never could. He began doing shows in the offseason of Florida, and to keep baseball executives out of the loop of his moonlight gig, he wore a mask and adopted a superhero-type gimmick, calling himself the Spider. Gerald Briscoe, who some of you may remember fondly as one of Mr. McMahon's stooges, said his first impression of the youngster was he had good arms, but he's small, noting that Papo had to keep his weight around 175 pounds for baseball. But he never forgot the attitude the swagger. He had a cocky attitude from day one that would define him in the decades to come. And even though he was already wrestling his final years of professional baseball, he was determined to keep the same dreams alive. Upon his release from the Tarpons, he launched a letter-writing campaign to every team in the majors. 
The White Sox farm director at the time, C.V. David, was impressed by his ambition and determination and gave him his last shot. And despite his hard work, Brandy failed to make the final cut at the end of spring training. So, he begins a rapid-fire progression of his five stages of grief. When they took his uniform, he couldn't believe it and went into like this denial phase. And that was followed by anger and bargaining. Followed by more anger. And then depression. As he smashed all his bats after walking out the door. After a while, acceptance kicks in and he begins to embark on his wrestling career. That would see him achieve virtual immortality in a far more flamboyant and profitable way than he could have ever imagined. Now, there are currently two Major League Baseball players in the WWE Hall of Fame. The first one is Pete Rose, the all-time hit king, who, for a couple WrestleManias, had the uncanny ability to piss off the big red machine, Kane, and suffer his ire. As well as uh, Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, whose pre-match interview with Andre the Giant before the WrestleMania 3 showdown with Hulk Hogan is still one of the funniest bits ever in WWE history. But the Macho Man, Randy Savage, is the only former professional baseball player to make the WWE Hall of Fame based on his merits as a wrestler alone. His brother would also jump into the business as Leap and Lady Popo and later as the genius. While missing out on the seam dreams may have bummed out the Macho Man, I can't help but be somewhat grateful that something great came from that shoulder injury. A path that would lead him to becoming cream of the crop. And folks, I think so. this is why I'm going to twist this backwards wrap up with a pearl. Pencil in a backwards K next to Randy Savage's name in our scorebook. And add it to the ball, per- ball players in our collection. I want to thank all of you for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed putting in the work and laying it out for you. And I promise, freaks. Bright and early, I'll be up, hitting the cage, trying to always improve. And I promise, nerds, I'll try to be even better next week. I will never charge you freaks for the baseball content here at BKP. No Patreon, no Twitch, no pay-to-play subscription shows. Knowledge is the most effective weapon in your daily arsenal, freaks. And I want nothing but empowered steamheads in my audience. I'm just going to keep coming through. Every week... With that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Buster Posey, baby. Before I make like a baby and head out, let's take a look at those, ooh, yeah, cream of the crop. Minor league numbers for Randy Pavo, a.k.a. the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Randall... Mario Papa, born November 15, 1952, died May 20th, 2011 at the age of 58 in Seminole, Florida, when he suffered a heart attack that was brought on by 
atherosclerosis while driving his car. He attended Downing Grove High School in Downers Grove, Illinois, as well as South Illinois University, Carbondale. Played catcher in the outfield a few times at first base. Spent two seasons in rookie league, low A ball, and two seasons in high A ball for the Cardinals and Reds and White Sox organization. 289 professional games played, 1,014 plate appearances. 869 at-bats, 87 runs scored, 221 hits, 39 doubles, 16 triples, 16 home runs, 129 RBI, 9 stolen bases, 18 times caught, 120 walks to 160 strikeouts, 340 total bases, finishing with a solid, 254, 346, 391 slash line, You know, which would probably favor him a lot better today in the analytical era. As well as that 737 OPS. Randy Monster Man Savage, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, seam heads of all ages. This is the story of the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and his baseball journey, his seam dream. Thank you again for checking in. You can find the show on Twitter at back underscore K underscore podcast. Our TikTok page and YouTube channel are backwards K pod. The Facebook group is the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. The show is available on pretty much all major platforms. Wherever you listen to your shows, please leave a rate and review. I ain't stirred. I do what I do when I do it, and I do it better than anybody else. That's a fact. Besides, it's how I feed the cat. It helps me continue to do what I love to do most. It's almost contract renewal time with Poppy, so I would really like to get some more rates and reviews, folks. I think I better get you freaks back to your loved ones patiently waiting by for you back at Terrapin Station. So, as I've been space and time to get you back to 2024, I see the Randy Poffo story getting smaller and smaller in my rear views. I turn my steely eye back to our never-say-die baseball hydro and I chop. The head of that beast, only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. Next week. Okay, so look. Before there was Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, Brian Jordan, there was Jim Thorpe. One of, if not the greatest, American multi-sport athlete of the 20th century. And I'm going to bring his baseball story to life. Well, I'm going to try my damnest to anyway. But look, that's another story for another pod here at Backwards K-Pod. Where we collect ballplayers and their stories. Parents, have you seen your kids sitting on the couch looking bored and unproductive AF? Take those little monkeys outside and play game to catch. Or throw snowballs at each other and give each other the finger. 
and your weather dictates it. Thank you all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy, Shay Hillebrand, told me in our one-on-one sparring session in the dojo. You can check that out in the archives. You go to hell, Andy Pettit. Me and my felonious feline of a co-host, Charlie Guns. We're throwing up our gun at Henderson's, y'all. That's our number twos. As in peace. Jim Thornton next week, nerds. Talk to you then.